Scribal art is the mother of speakers, the father of scholars, bodies of knowledge, science, literature, religion. These scholars were responsible for preserving the cultural heritage of Mesopotamia. This Sumerian proverb demonstrates the high regard generally accorded scribes and scholars in ancient Mesopotamia. Although the scribes themselves remain largely in the background anonymous recorders of civilization, the training, responsibilities, and activities of Mesopotamian scribes and scholars can be deduced from the texts they produced. Documentation unevenly reflects details related to the training of the scribes, the existence of a scribal academy, and the nature of cuneiform in scholarship. Scribes functioned in a society in which the vast majority of people were illiterate. The basic responsibility of scribes was to write documents for themselves and others. They acquired literacy and numeracy in schools dedicated to that purpose. Having mastered those fundamental steps, the scribe was equipped to serve the business communities, both private and public. Scribes with exceptional interest or talent engaged in additional study. Scribes and scholars belong to the social elite. A bilingual proverb notes, the scribal art, receiving a handsome fee, is a bright-eyed guardian, the need of the palace. Students in the scribal school were male children of members of the upper strata of society. Their fathers were well-to-do merchants, priests, governors, ambassadors, kings, and occasionally scribes. One text tells of a failed scribal career. Yasitna Abum, the scribe of a very flowery letter from Tel Alrima, had been told to learn the art of scribes. I shall make you into a household of gentlemen. Although Yasitna Abum gave up food and water in order to master the scribal arts, he met with little success and never achieved prominent employment, because I have nothing, I cannot serve in the palace. While the vast majority of scribes were men, there were notable exceptions. The first was Anka Duana, the earliest named woman scribe and author. She was a daughter of Sargon of Akkad, and author of a lengthy Sumerian poem praising Inanna. Nin Shatapada was priestess of the underworld deities, Meslamtia and Lubulgira, and daughter of Sinkashid of Uruk. In her literary letter to Rimsin of Larsa, she appealed to the conquering king for mercy. Her elegant prayer became the object of study in subsequent generations of apprentice scribes. The wife of Uranamu may have composed a lament following his death in battle. The wife of Shulji may have created the lullaby for her son. Women scribes are attested in old Babylonian Mari and Sippar. Some were daughters of scribes. At Sippar, the women scribes were members of the cloister that functioned as an important social and economic entity in that city. These scribes served to record the transactions of the members of the cloister. Their position as scribes further indicates the social and economic achievement of these women. At Mari, the names of at least ten women scribes are known. Nine of these received rations small enough to suggest that, although they were literate, they were held in low regard and were slaves of the harem. Slave girls trained as scribes were occasionally given to princesses as part of their dowries. Just as at Sippar, these women scribes served the documentational needs of other women in their society. Evidence of women scribes as scholars is limited to one fragment of a vocabulary text written by one Beltirameni in the Old Babylonian period. Female counterparts to diviners, physicians, performers, and artists are all attested. But their activities, too, are overshadowed by those of their male counterparts. Among the Hittites, the scribe could be counted with the dignitaries of the court and might be called upon as the king's substitute to deliver prayers before a god. Payment to an archive administrator of a salary equal to one half of that of the high priest's substitute during the reign of Bursin in the third dynasty of Ur period attested to the prominent social standing of the scribes. Royal inscriptions, commissioned by kings to commemorate their great deeds, appear on variously shaped writing surfaces, including clay barrels and six- and eight-sided prisms.
Each face of a prism contained a column of text. Barrels were inscribed along their long axes, so that when they were stored or displayed vertically the inscription appeared perpendicular to the direction in which it was intended to be read. The stylus used to impress clay tablets was most frequently fashioned out of reed, and was known by the Sumerian or Akkadian words for that material, gi and kanu, respectively. At first, the rounded end of the reed was impressed into the tablet. Soon, scribes began to shape the reed's end into a triangular cross-section that gave cuneiform signs their characteristic wedge shape. Wall reliefs in palaces of several Neo-Assyrian kings, including those of Adad-Nirari III, Tiglath-Pileser III, and Sennacherib, portray scribes at their tasks. Reliefs from Nineveh variously depict two scribes recording the spoils of war, and the numbers of enemies slain in military campaigns the Aramaic scribe holds pen and papyrus, the other scribe holds either a hinged writing board coated with wax or a cuneiform tablet and a stylus. When writing on wax, scribes employed a metal, bronze, stylus because of its strength and durability. Writing on wood was done with ink and brush. With a pointed tool, scribes outlined inscriptions to be chiseled in stone by expert stoneworkers. The cuneiform scribe most frequently executed his tasks with clay tablet and reed stylus, ready materials in the riverine environment of Mesopotamia. However, a variety of materials were used for cuneiform inscriptions. Surviving tablets reflect the quality of the materials available to the scribes, as well as the attention paid by the scribe to the preparation of the tablets themselves. Some tablets were prepared from clay filled with inclusions, impurities in the clay such as small pebbles, grit, straw, and other organic material. Other tablets were formed from a fine clay body. The quality of the clay body and the layout of the text were related to the type of text to be written on the tablet. Literary and historical texts are the most aesthetically pleasing to the modern eye, because the scribes took great care to proportion the size of the tablet to the amount of material to be inscribed. The standardized and formulaic language of some text genres, such as contracts, encouraged scribes to adhere to a prescribed layout of text on tablet. Some late first millennium cuneiform tablets also contained scribal notations inscribed or painted in the Greek or Aramaic alphabetic scripts. The scribe of an incantation text found on a tablet from Uruk engaged in the unusual practice of employing the cuneiform script to graphically represent the Aramaic in which the incantation was composed. A variety of other markings appeared on some tablets. Vertical or horizontal lines, found on literary, historical, lexical, religious, and scientific texts, divided texts into various sections comparable to poetic stanzas or book chapters. The rulings also provided reference points to sections of the text, and aided the scribe in allocating the text on the tablet. From the Middle Babylonian and Middle Assyrian periods on, some literary tablets were impressed front to back or side to side with holes. The suggestion that the purpose of these holes was to prevent the rupture of the tablet during firing is dubious, as many large tablets were successfully fired in antiquity without such precautions. Although their purpose remains unclear, it became traditional to impress such holes on many literary tablets. Tablets of the era epic could be hung on votive statues once a cord was passed through holes bored in the clay. Holes in the corners of the bronze tablet found at Bogaz Khoi, recording a treaty between the Hittite king, Utkalia IV, and Karunta of Tarkantasha, may have served a similar function. Other marks included impressions of a fingernail, or the hem of a garment, evidence of an individual's participation in the recorded transaction. Some economic tablets that were reviewed when taking inventory of stocks bore a thick red marking painted on its face. Scribes drew maps and representations of astrological material on tablets.
Impressions of a stamp or cylinder seal sometimes accompanied cuneiform inscriptions. When a scribe noticed mistakes in the text, he might correct them by rubbing the surface of the clay with his fingers. The clarity of corrections depended on the elasticity of the clay when the scribe made the correction. Variation among scribes' handwritings occasionally makes it possible to identify groups of tablets as the product of a specific, albeit anonymous, scribe. Clay cones with broad flat nail heads and bronze nails, decorated with a figure carrying a work basket on his head, contain inscriptions attesting to the piety of the ruler responsible for the buildings into whose sides these cones were inserted. Inscriptions on clay cones began at the flathead side of the nail, sometimes the nail was ruled into registers, and the text divided into two columns. The shape of these foundation deposits developed from the practice at early dynastic Uruk of facing walls and columns with cones, the heads of which were set in mosaic-like patterns. Foundation deposit inscriptions are also attested on rectangular tablets of precious metals. Scribes inscribed tablets from the left edge to the right and from top to bottom. Tablets were generally turned on the horizontal rather than vertical axis, top to bottom, as it were. Multi-column tablets read from left to right on the obverse, and continued from right to left on the reverse. For want of space, scribes also filled the edges of a clay tablet, and occasionally squeezed words between lines. The layout of text on clay objects other than tablets conformed to the constraints imposed by their unique shapes. The majority of clay tablets were rectangular in shape, the vertical axis was generally the longest. Some Ur-3 land surveyors used circular tablets to record their results. Students of the Ur-3 and Old Babylonian period schools wrote elementary exercises in sign composition and beginning vocabulary development on round tablets. Surfaces on which cuneiform inscriptions appear vary greatly in size. The smallest clay tablets, just a few centimeters in length and width, could contain tens of lines of writing on each side. The ability to write so much in limited space is a tribute to the dexterity and skill of the scribe. Large texts recording literary, historical, and political records may measure as much as 45 by 30 centimeters, 18 by 12 inches, while the bronze treaty tablet was somewhat smaller, measuring 35 by 23.5 by 1 centimeters, its weight of 5 kilograms, 11 pounds, is remarkable. Scribes in the service of the Neo-Assyrian king Esarhaddon executed copies of treaties concluded with his vassals on tablets of such dimensions. Among the largest surfaces containing inscriptions were walls in the palaces of Assyrian kings, such as those of Asurbanipal II and the escarpment of the mountain pass at Behistun, Iran, on which the Persian king Darius I had a trilingual inscription carved. Scribes fashioned clay into other objects related to writing. Clay tokens, in a variety of shapes and sizes, may have been the original source and inspiration for the shapes of some cuneiform signs. Bully were of two types. Hollow spheres of clay contained clay tokens, flattened rings of clay surrounded some papyrus and parchment documents, and served as the medium onto which witnesses impressed their seals in attestation to the transaction recorded therein. Clay casings, termed envelopes, enclosed some administrative documents. The text of the transaction was recopied, in part or whole, onto the envelope. The envelope inscription served either to provide a duplicate copy against which the original text could be compared if questions about the validity of the transaction arose, or to offer a ready indication of the contents within, facilitating storage and retrieval of the tablet in an archive. Although attested from Ur to Neo-Assyrian periods, the practice was largely abandoned after the Old Babylonian period. Stone and metal were generally reserved for inscriptions commissioned by members of royalty, although not all royal inscriptions were written on these materials. Since Mesopotamia was poor in mineral resources, 
gold, silver, and basalt were imported. Metals were attested only infrequently as a writing material, and were reserved for texts of importance to the crown, such as several found at Persepolis, bound together with hinges. Writing boards of silver and gold are rarely mentioned. Writing boards, in use from the year three to late Babylonian periods, were coated with a layer of wax to which orpiment was added. This allowed the wax to flow easily to coat the surface of the boards, and to retain its malleability for the inscription. This malleability also made it possible for the scribes to erase and reuse the wax, rendering it ideal for the preliminary composition of texts. Once the preliminary copy was completed, the scribe copied all of the data onto a durable clay tablet. The wax was then erased and reused and this process was repeated. The texts composed on wax writing boards recorded a variety of data compiled over a period of time, including religious and ritual matters, royal reports and orders, registers of people, and astronomical observations. The Mesopotamians depicted the Tablet of Life as a wax-covered board on which the god Nabu recorded the names and deeds of kings and their sons. Some wax boards were attached together by means of hinges to form a book. Recent excavation of a shipwreck at Elubrin, on the southwestern coast of Turkey, delivered a rare example of such a book. Scribes also wrote on papyrus and leather. Because these materials were not easily impressed with cuneiform signs, their use did not become widespread until the development and spread of alphabetic scripts in the first millennium. Inscriptions employing these scripts used pen or brush and ink. Scribes who wrote on these materials were designated leather or papyrus scribes, respectively probably the language of instruction in the old Babylonian school. Thus, students would have had to have learned Sumerian upon entrance into the school. Scribes preserved Sumerian compositions, either unilingual or bilingual, with Akkadian translations, until the end of cuneiform usage. The difficulties inherent in mastering the cuneiform system, in particular the complexity of sign forms and multiple phonetic readings of individual signs, ensured a lengthy period and process of scribal education. These difficulties guaranteed the limited spread of literacy throughout Mesopotamian society. With the exception of one possible example discussed, modern scholars lack the biographical data that, when correlated to scribes' activities, would make it possible to determine the ages at which scribes entered or graduated from the academy, or began and ended their careers. Although the length of many scribes' careers can be determined, this is relative, not absolute, data. The early stages of language study were combined with instruction in tablet preparation and sign production. The teacher or his assistant wrote the day's lesson on the obverse of round tablets, the student copied the lesson on the reverse. At first, this consisted of learning how to impress the horizontal, vertical, and diagonal wedges that combined in different arrangements, producing cuneiform signs. The students progressed to form individual signs and words. Inscriptions on these lenticular tablets reflect the rudimentary stages of scribal education, crudely fashioned signs, and only the briefest of connected textual passages, usually short proverbs and maxims. Once students mastered the fundamentals of sign composition, they advanced to the study of the components of language and literature. Language study was accomplished through the copying and studying of lists. Scribes and scholars generated four kinds of philological lists, sign lists, vocabularies, syllabaries, and grammatical lists. Sign lists were either single or multicolumned. In the latter case the right-hand column gave the names of signs listed on the left. 
Vocabularies or lexical lists of two or three parallel columns offered translations into Akkadian for designated Sumerian terms. Archaeological evidence for the existence and activities of the scribal school comes from sites such as Ur, Makayar, Sippar, and Nippur, Nuffar, where rooms replete with cuneiform tablets have been identified as schools. All education related to the scribal arts occurred in a school or under the tutelage of experienced scribes. The scribal school, known as the Tablet House achieved its greatest prominence in the Old Babylonian period. There all aspects of the scribal profession were taught, from the preparation of tablet and stylus to the mastery of a curriculum covering four major areas of instruction, language, including vocabulary and grammar, literature, mathematics, including surveying, and music. By the Old Babylonian period, Akkadian had replaced Sumerian as the appropriate language of commerce and diplomacy throughout Mesopotamia.